Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about the top 10 mistakes that people make when buying life insurance. And we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls and win at buying life insurance. We're your host. I'm Rachel Marshall, and this is Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Um, we have to. We actually have to capture our listeners today before they turn off the podcast because you know this. This has been tried to be have been done by quite a few people, and unfortunately, it's also on the internet where where there's pop ups where people are just trying to get your attention. And what I want people to realize is the reason people <clears throat> do this or companies do this is because they see life insurance as a commodity. They don't see it as a, a principle or a strategy. And so if people can listen to this podcast as something that is a principle and a, and then you have a strategy and not just something that you buy, a commodity, then I think they will get a lot more out of the podcast. Absolutely. And what a fantastic lead in, um, Bruce. So let's go ahead and set the stage. So when you're buying anything, but specifically life insurance, not everyone has all the information to make the best decisions. So because you're listening to this particular podcast, we hope that you will have all of the right information to make the best decisions. And really that depends on your level of research, but we want to condense time for you and really make this easier for you to make great decisions. So we want to help you find out the common pitfalls that people make in buying life insurance that leave them frustrated, discouraged, unsatisfied, or without the protection that they really wanted in their greatest hour of need, because what they got didn't serve them in the way that they thought that it would. So we're going to answer what are the most common mistakes that people make when buying life insurance. And when you have this information, you are going to be able to avoid the pitfalls so you can get the insurance that serves you the most, that does the most good for you gives you the greatest peace of mind and helps you best accomplish your goals. So as we talk about any topic, we always want to help you understand where does this fit in the cash flow system. In the cash flow system, we have three levels. In stage one, we help you build a foundation to be more efficient and keep more of the money you make. In stage two, we're protecting your money. And in stage three, you want to get your money working for you and increasing and multiplying. So here, as we're talking about life insurance, insurance is part of stage two. This is helping you to increase the canopy of protection in your financial life. Now, through one of the premier life insurance strategies called privatized banking, you can secure your ability to control your access to capital by being your own banker, keeping more of your money, accelerating cash flow from your investments, and creating time and money freedom, allowing you to transfer on a rich legacy. So it really connects to all parts of your cash flow system, but specifically focused in on that stage too. So let's talk about the number one mistake that people make when buying life insurance. And I would say that it is not buying their full human life value. What's your thought about that, Bruce? Oh, well, I see it every, I see it every day. And it's, and I don't think it's because people don't want to do it. They have, they, they have actually purchased it or they are still stuck in the past because we are influenced by our past thinking. So I, I don't know how many times, you know, I'm sitting down with a couple and we start talking about their protection needs and, or even an individual, but mostly with a couple because we're protection, we're, we're, what we're protecting is income. Um, and they have $500,000 of life insurance and, and yet they make, you know, $100,000 a year or more, in some cases a lot more, and they have 500000 and they think, well, five hundred thousand is more enough. I mean, gosh, if my if my spouse got five hundred thousand dollars, he would be able to take or she would be able to take care of the kids and and themselves and all the obligations and so on and so forth. And then when I say, well, you know, you're you're netting you're netting uh, after taxes, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Now you're not around to be spending any money, but you know, if if we put that hundred thousand into an investment you know, even if we're hoping to get 5%, I mean, that, that doesn't cover it. Um, that's only 
that's only uh, $5,000. And mm-hmm. if, if you're saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pay down my principal. Well, that's, that's only a hundred thousand for five years. And so, you know, Rachel, I, I, I've said this to you before. I probably said it to our listeners before. Growing up in the seventies, I didn't even know there was a number hundred thousand. And mm-hmm. and I you did. And I, yeah, and I believe that's because the because inflation has really inflated our dollars, but people still remember that that was a lot of money, and so they haven't oh, sure. they haven't changed their way of thinking um, in a logical way. So. Trying to get your human life value, especially when you're younger and you're more you're more insurable at that time in most cases, right? And it's, right, and the cost per thousand is a lot more. It really seems to make the most um, the most sense because um, mm-hmm. money doesn't go as far as it used to. It doesn't, and I think one of the biggest reasons why people come into the life insurance conversation and talk about a number of death benefit, a death benefit dollar amount of less than human life value is because they come at it from a needs-based conversation. And they say, well, what's the mortgage? How much is it going to cost to send the kids to college? What's going to replace my spouse's income for maybe a year or so? And that's where they stop. And they look at how much debt they have to pay off and what those obligations are. And they say, well, here's my need. Mm -hmm. And if you start from a position of need, when you're talking about life insurance, that's kind of a, a bare minimum. This is a, maybe what's going to just take what it's going to take to just get by. But if you really are thinking about what type of life you're wanting to create with your spouse and your family while you're living, it's not just the minimum. It's not just the minimum schooling and the minimum lifestyle and the minimum car to drive and the minimum house. You really want to be able to live your greatest quality of life. And what human life value does is human life value is the maximum amount of insurance that you can get on your life based on the income you make and the assets that you have. And so there's a myth that you can be overinsured. There's a myth that you can possibly be worth more dead than alive. You can't. The life insurance company will absolutely not give you more life insurance than you qualify for. They're not going to put $2,500 million on somebody who makes $50,000 a year. It's just not even possible to get that type of life insurance. But what is really happening is we want to be in a position where you get as much as possible because that is going to create the highest quality of lifestyle for your family and allow them to continue on the life that you were working to create and build while you you were living, even if you're not here to see it out. So really, it's a wants conversation. It's not about just the minimum need. Yeah. And again, that's a, oh, Bruce. That's exactly what you should just say is <clears throat> because- People are so indoctrinated in this needs analysis rather than, well, what do you actually want to happen? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've joked about this in, in other podcasts, but, you know, you don't need a car. You could just walk or you could <laughs> or you could ride a bike. And so that's the same type of need ana- needs analysis. Do you really just want your your spouse to have what they need or your kids to have what they need? Or do you want them to have what? you really want them to have, um, which is mm-hmm. di- which is a different conversation. And what's interesting as well as the biggest picture then is you don't want your family to be in a position of having to be worried about money and how they're going to take care of things in addition to the emotional challenge of losing you. If that were to happen, you want to minimize and ease that burden for them and ultimately continue on the life that you want to have. Absolutely. So the second mistake that people make is not getting the right type of life insurance policy. And we could go in every direction with this particular piece. But really, what we're looking at is a lot of times people just buy term life insurance, but that is not, it, it is a policy that is only there for a specific length of time. You want to be having a policy that's really there when you need it. Now, we know that term life insurance doesn't often pay out. About 1% to 2% of policies actually end up paying Mm -hmm. out because most people outlive the term of the life insurance policy. So that means that if I'm still living when the policy is over and I don't renew that policy or get a new one, I'm uninsured at the time that I die, which means I didn't have the life insurance coverage at the time I wanted it. And so there's also permanent policies that lack guarantees. And you want to be in a position where... You have a policy that's not only there when you need it, 
but it also has the guarantees that you can truly count on the coverage being there at the benefit level you expect with the premium that you expect to fund it with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, if we go back to the, the first principle, having up the human life value, then we're not saying you shouldn't have term insurance because I have term insurance to get my up to my human life value um, because it's right. And so do I. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then there's younger people that maybe are in a position that they cannot put significant amounts of money into a permanent policy. So maybe they actually have even more um, term insurance than they have permanent insurance. Um, and there's some people that maybe are just starting out and that's all they have is term insurance. Um, and then, you know, we're not saying that universal life or, um, well, I, I, I guess I kind of, I'm not a real big fan of variable universal life, but index universal life or universal life where they don't have the, the same types of guarantees. Um, I'm still not saying you shouldn't use those because there are times, especially for businesses, um, if they're not going to use, use it for utilization, because you can get some higher death benefits with a lower amount. But once again, if you're, that means all you've done is you've taken on the risk. You've taken on more of the risk. If you're getting a mm -hmm. higher death benefit for a lesser premium, that means you've taken on more of the risk. It's just like term insurance. You're getting a higher death benefit for a very small premium. So you've taken on the majority of the risk. The insurance company has it. And then people say, well, what do you mean you've, I've taken on more of the risk? Well, it, because the risk is it's not going to be there when you absolutely need it because it's going to be past the term. So um, the old thing, when people say, well, I'm not, I don't want to do permanent insurance, whether it's whole life or universal life or an index universal life or, or a variable universal life, I don't want to do that because it's too expensive. I simply say to them, well, what's more expensive, paying for something for 30 years and then not getting a benefit? Are paying right. or paying for something that you're guarant that you pay more for, either annually or semi-annually, or quarterly or monthly, but you actually are guaranteed to get the to get the benefit. And what you said actually leads us very easily right into number three. The third mistake people make is in just trying to save money. And I think the easiest way for me to think about this is you can focus. Again, Bruce, as you're saying, you can focus just on today and I can figure out how can I save the most dollars today in this current year. But if I'm looking at that only then I'm being short sighted, we really want to say, how do I spend the have my dollars do the most and be as efficient as possible over the course of my entire life? So if I only focus on today, sure, I might get a policy that I put less premium dollars into for a higher death benefit. But over the course of my life, what is that going to look like? And here's the interesting thing. If you get a term policy, and that term then expires. Say you're 30 years old today and you get a 20-year term policy and then that expires at age 50 and it's renewable and you have an annually renewable term after that, the price increases each year. <laughs> and what you're looking at is the cost goes up so tremendously that you could, if you kept that same term policy in force your whole life, say you live to age 93 and you kept the same term policy and paid the annually renewable rates on it, you will have probably paid in more in premium than you will actually be getting in death benefit. That's not a good return on investment. Yeah. So I don't know if you can say probably, but I certainly, you can say it has happened. Um, and I've seen it when you add up, when you add it all up and it has, it has to do with a variety of things. It has to do with time value of money, so on and so forth. But this is a real, this is a real thing because people say, well, I'm going to buy term and then I'll just re-up it later on. Well, you have to re-up it at, a, at a, uh, a greater age. If you don't qualify to re-up, then you have to do the, if it has guaranteed renew one-year renewable. I mean, I've seen it where a uh, half a million dollars for a 40-year-old, you know, by the time they, it's a 10-year policy and they get the, they are 20-year, I think when this one was a 20-year policy, it all of a sudden went from $1,000, $1,004 a year to $20,400 a year. And people are just shocked. Which is a tremendous increase. Yeah. I mean, that's a 20 times increase in rate for the same policy. Yeah. And I know we don't want to get necessarily get on a tangent, but it's universal life policies that were set up years ago and underfunded because they are based on interest rates are now blowing up. And when I say blowing up, I mean, uh, insurance producers or companies are going back to their, um, to their policyholders and saying, 
you know, we thought interest rates were going to go up over the course of your life and they have actually gone down tremendously. So we need more money to put in this policy because every year your cost of insurance in a, in a universal life policy, a variable universal life and an index universal life is one year renewable. So it goes up every year. So these, mm-hmm. these are the things you have to be educated about uh, when you're actually doing this. Um, if you're doing it for a buy-sell agreement where you really uh, think that you're going to um, buy each other out in a five or 10-year period and you want to keep costs down, maybe, maybe, maybe you do a, an index universal life policy on a business owner. Um, but if you understand how to um, use other and maybe you do partially term on that situation. Um, but you have to look at the entire strategy, not just the, the product as a commodity. And that is the absolutely Absolutely. problem in our commoditized world, uh, with the internet and, you know, even with magazines and that, you know, it's, uh, look, look what we can do for you right now. Sign up for this $500,000 for a healthy 40 year old male. You can get it for $15 a month. You know, they don't. They, well, then you find out it's a 10 year policy. Right? policy. Yeah, and it, it's, it's a 10 year <laughs> right. policy. And I always tell this is the basic. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And people know this, but I don't know why they don't live it. It doesn't make any sense that I as a 40 year old, I can give $15 to an insurance company. And the next day I die and the insurance company gives my spouse $500,000. And the and the reason they're willing to make that deal is they know it very rarely happens. Now, does that mean you shouldn't take a $500,000 policy as a 40-year-old for $15 a month? Absolutely not. You might want to do that. But it might not also work into your strategy of your overall long-term right. wealth. So that's that's a pitfall that I think we need to help uh, people understand. Absolutely. So if you were just trying to save money, you could get the shortest term policy possible. But then what about when that term expires? If you were just trying to save money only, you could just get less death benefit. But what happens when you do pass away and the death benefit is paid and it's not sufficient to cover what you had hoped? You could get a policy that has no cash value and have no ability to use it during your lifetime. That's just a death benefit policy only. That would be one way to save money, but is that really going to accomplish what you want? When you look at the whole picture and your whole life, you want to make sure that you're making the best financial decision to have your dollars do the most for you over that full life, not just today. So the fourth mistake that people make when buying life insurance is focusing only on the death benefit. So we talked earlier about not focusing enough on the death benefit and getting enough of it. But if you focus only on the death benefit, you're going to be in a position where you might just buy term a term policy or maybe a universal life policy to get the death benefit as high as possible. However, there's a really valuable reason to have the cash value because then you have access to cash that you can use. You have cash that that is a storage tank of money that's liquid and available and growing that you can use during your lifetime. So to be able to not only not to give up, we don't want to give up death benefit, but we also don't want to focus only on the death benefit. You want to have control, longevity, guarantees on your policy and death and death benefit. In most strategies, we almost exclusively use a combination of whole life insurance and term life insurance. That way you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the ability to use a policy during your lifetime and you're getting your maximum human life value. This just came up last week. One of our other advisors at E3 uh, came to me and said, I need your insurance help. I sold I sold this business owner who was actually started a bank. And I sold him $4 million worth of, of uh, term insurance 20 years ago because um, he wanted that coverage. Um and I, th- I believe that also the bank was requiring some life insurance on him. And he said now that he's he's actually done so well, he's going to go over the ex- exclusion limits for a state tax. And so he wants to convert his term insurance <clears throat> into whole life so that he knows he has it for the rest of his life. And 
we went back to the policies and he cannot convert it to whole life. He can only convert it to universal life. Mm. But it wouldn't have made any difference because when I told him what it was to convert it, it was something like um, 13, something like $51,000 a year. Um, and that was for universal life. So it will, whole, lot, whole oh, life wow. is going to be a lot more. He said, well, okay, I guess we can't do it because that's not um, mathematically possible. And I, and I said, well, let's sit down and see if I can help you figure out a way that we can help you control your money that you put in here. And then you could actually have the death benefit and also be using your money. And he goes, no, I don't want to talk about that. I guess it's just I made a mistake and I, I don't have to worry about it. You know, don't worry about it anymore. So all he was doing was focusing on this death benefit. And he wasn't focusing on the way that it fit into his overall financial strategy. And he wasn't willing to listen to other, you know, ideas and strategies. And, uh, you know, I'm going to still try to help him uh, out. But once again, he just bought the term insurance with the idea of, of uh, focusing on a death benefit and what, and not what it could do in his overall strategy. I love that you mentioned that. And I think sometimes we make a decision today that we think is the best. And what we want to do is give ourselves the out or the ability to pivot to, improve upon the strategy as we progress, not close the doors to those other opportunities. And so that's something we're going to bring in um, towards the end as we talk about the right. So Rachel, before we go to, to the have. next one, let's just talk about that real quickly. We all make decisions based upon the information we have at the time we make that decision. But what I, what I yes. see with people is then they say, Oh, if I would have known this, I would have made a different decision. And then they, then they get paralysis and they don't move forward because they think they're going to make another what they consider as a wrong decision. It's not a wrong decision mm -hmm. that you made previously. You just made the, the uh, decision based upon the, all the information you had at that time. Now, maybe all the information was not provided, but I, I would argue that this guy did not know that this bank was going to cause him to have a, a net worth of, you know, north of $25 million. So how, how did how did he know that having $4 million was not going to do be enough for the exclusion uh, estate tax in the future? So he's just got it. He has to pivot. Uh, people have to pivot in that situation. Um, so, so they shouldn't beat themselves up when they're trying. That's another thing. I think people, another fault that I don't even think we were, we were planning on talking about this, but people don't move forward in buying insurance because they say, well, I should have bought, I should have bought it a long time ago. Um, I should have put this strategy in a long time ago. So that's probably another thing as we move forward in our discussion here. Yes. Or I, I'm going to make the wrong decision. And so we don't want to present these mistakes that other people make so that you are afraid to move forward and that you're afraid of making these mistakes. We want to be completely transparent with you and help you recognize these mistakes so that you don't make them. So you don't have to be afraid of Correct. having these failure points. Right. So the fifth mistake that a lot of people make is relying on group coverage. And this is one that I hear way too often. <clears throat> so a lot of employers will offer group coverage and this is can potentially be a really good benefit for their employees. Now what happens is it's usually guaranteed issue, meaning that you're not going through underwriting in order to get that life insurance. You might get maybe 100,000, 200,000, you can maybe get a little bit on your spouse, maybe half of what you have or even something on your children. And it's usually very inexpensive and it's something that comes off the top of your paycheck before you even see the money. And so it can be a easy first step into life insurance. However, here and here's a huge however, Usually group life insurance is not portable. What that means is that if you leave your employer, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, so you choose to leave for a better job or you lose your job, that life insurance does not come with you in most cases. Now, there are some cases where it can, but usually you're then left without life insurance. And it's usually a far less death benefit than you probably would have had if you were thinking through the situation individually and really maximizing your human life value. So you want to make sure that your life insurance goes with you wherever you go, wherever you choose to be employed. If you choose to start your own business, you don't want to be left in a lurch without insurance at a time that you may potentially now be uninsurable. You really want to make sure that you take care of your insurance needs at the time, at the earliest point in your life when you know that you can 
because you're most likely to be insurable at that time. Yeah, Rachel, I've had the I've had the fortunate um, to to actually work with Missouri State high school teachers, and oftentimes they will say. Uh, when we start talking about protection after they retire, they say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm allowed to take my group insurance with me as long as I pay for it. But that's collectively bargained. And what they don't realize is that is a true statement, but now it actually, it, it goes from being a group cost to an individual cost. And they are shocked by, oh, wait a minute, I was only paying $20 a month for this. Well, yeah, you can actually take it with you, but now it, it actually becomes an individual policy at your age. And it starts, um, and oftentimes it starts as a one-year renewable from that time on. So you have to really not count on your group pilot because think about it from the employer standpoint. They want, and, and actually this, I was going to bring this point up. People dislike life insurance in a lot of cases. They're like, they don't even want to think about it. There's a variety of reasons they don't want to think about it. But employers almost always have that as a benefit. Mm -hmm. And people make decisions on employment based upon the benefits that they actually receive. Health insurance, dental insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, so on and so forth. Do they ever stop and think that I'm actually value life insurance because I'm going to the employer that's <laughs> offering to to me. Right. Why are you, why are you devaluing it when somebody else brings it up? It's it's a really it's a really a, it's a it's a concept that I've been thinking about for years. It's kind of like when I, Gary Gunderson says, "How much life insurance would you buy if you didn't have to pay for it?" Well, well I people, think everyone would want as much as they would, get, right? Yeah. So if it's <laughs> If you think it's valuable to have, then why shouldn't you try to figure out why, how you can pay for it um, or how you can actually work it into the strategy? Mm-hmm. So the employer wants to have this benefit offered because it's a good benefit to offer at the least amount possible. So they go to the insurance companies and say, we want group rates. And, when, and yes, it can be converted to my employee, if he leaves or he or she leaves, but I don't want it at the same group rate because it's going to pull my group rate down Mm -hmm. because they're going to be older when they retire. So at that time, then when they leave, it should become a one-year renewable rate at their age. So it keeps the group rates down while they're actually at the company when they really want to keep them at the company. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about it intuitively, and from a business mindset, then it it really makes no sense to depend on group insurance. Now you may you may depend on group insurance to actually try to get you to your human life value at that time point, but it really shouldn't be a part of your overall strategy for your life. Yeah, so maybe a supplement, but not the main life insurance. Right. Yeah. So then that brings us to number six. The mistake that a lot of people make is not having the right product design. And again, this is something that we've covered extensively in other podcasts, and we're not going to go really in depth here, but you need a life insurance product specifically designed to what you want to accomplish. And that's going to be different from person to person. And that requires an agent or a financial services company or professional who's working with you to really understand your needs and what you are wanting to accomplish. For instance, if you are wanting to use a policy, you're going to want high cash value. If you're wanting to use it for purposes of privatized banking and, and taking loans against the policy and investing that money over into your business or into real estate or into any other venture, and then being able to pay back your policy loans, you'll need to have somebody who's really familiar with structuring and designing a policy that's designed to be used for cash flow, not just for accumulation. So even when we talk about this, there's many people who will say, well, we do privatized banking and infinite banking, but you'll find that they're designing policies that still do not accumulate the cash value at a rate that is most effective for them. So really you should- Oh, I, I, got, I have to, I'm sorry, Rachel, I have, have to interrupt you on that one because this is, I actually ran into this with one of our uh, listeners to the Money Advantage the other day. He said, yeah, he said, I already have one of these that's designed for privatized banking. And in year three, 
you know, I'll have access to two thousand of the two thousand dollars of oh. the thirty thousand I put in. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I and I said, Well, that's actually better than a lot of them that I've seen, but they actually can be designed even better than that. Mm-hmm. So you have to work with somebody that understands exactly how these policies can be designed by the the rules of the contract that the life insurance company allows. So it's not a foreign thing. It's not like you're manipulating the life insurance company. They actually have these in their contractual rules. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that too, because it's not like you're gaming the system or you're trying to do something that is not in the favor of the life insurance company, because there are life insurance companies that are very familiar with the concept of privatized banking, and they like to see Mm -hmm. their policies being used as much as possible. And when we're designing policies, typically at the money advantage, we are wanting to make sure if somebody really wants to have that policy being utilized as quickly as possible, we want there to be as much cash value up front right after the check clears when they make that first premium payment. And usually we're seeing at least 50 to 60% of your premium dollars be available in that year one, 30 days right after the check clears if you're paying on an annual basis. And so if you're only getting zero, five, 10, 15% of the money that you put in in the first year available to you, that's not going to be producing what you had hoped if privatized banking was your objective. And again, I'm not saying that it is. Maybe you're looking for a different purpose to have your life insurance, but you want to make sure that your policy is designed specifically in the way that benefits your goals and helps you further them. Yeah, the next one's really easy to go. Not using the right carriers, and we believe in the the four following things that needs to have uh, the rating of the company by the different uh, rating agencies needs to be an A minus or better. The Comdex score, which is a kind of a accumulation of a lot of different uh, ratings, needs to be 80 plus on a scale of 100. We believe it needs to have a lot of history. So 100 plus year of paying dividends. So even through the Great Depression and the Great Recession, and it should be a mutual company. So it's paying you dividends and not be holding itself to it, uh, uh, the stockholders. Um, so those are the things that we would point out for not the right carriers. And any, any, uh, the, so the mistake being not having the right carrier. And if you're not hitting any of the markers on those, hitting those, um, those thresholds, then you're not with the right carrier. And that's a mistake because you're going to end up with a company that's not as sound or not as likely to pay out their guarantees. Yeah, and, and I don't want it. It's not mo, insurance companies cannot. Um, they don't go out of business very often. That is true. And and the great thing about it is, is that uh, there's something called the uh, the guarantee, the insurance guarantee of a particular state. So states help guarantee and carriers. I don't. We don't have time to go into this, but insurance contracts are then gobbled up by the by the um, the industry. So if on the rare occasion that an insurance company has gone out of business, other insurance, insurance companies come in and gobble up the contracts for two reasons. One, they want to be able to protect the reputation of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine if Coca-Cola's stock dropped by 25% and then uh, UPS came in and said, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and buy all that twenty five percent stock for uh, your your uh, holdings, and we're gonna make you whole. Well, they're never gonna they're never gonna do that. Insurance companies want want to do that for t- two reasons: they want to keep the industry standards high, but here's the other thing that people don't realize: those policies have already had their cost of business taken care of. Mm-hmm. So just to get those that capital is they actually get it cheaply. So they don't have to pay uh, an insurance producer to sell it. They don't have to pay an underwriter to figure out if they should do it. They don't have to pay a new business person to put the contracts together. They don't have to pay a regional vice president to oversee it. So they don't have any costs to actually obtain those policies. It makes perfect business sense. So it's not like some magic here. They're actually gaining capital with actually having, without having to expend capital to get that capital. 
That's fascinating. And I did know that usually they're absorbed by other companies, but that's really fascinating, just the business sense of the decision. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Bruce. I think that's going to be really Mm -hmm. eye-opening even for our listeners. And there's a listing as well um, of insurance companies that have gone out of business compared to banks that have gone out of business in a shorter span of time. And, And if we compared that, there's very few life insurance companies that are ever going under. The eighth mistake that people make when buying life insurance is not having the right riders. And this is really key. There's riders which are additions onto a policy that can help it to enhance the performance and perform better for you in a wide range of circumstances. One of these riders that you really want to make sure that you have is the paid up additions rider. This is a key policy design feature for utilizing a policy for privatized banking. If you don't have that rider, you're not going to accelerate the cash value in the way that you're going to be able to access it quickly. Waiver of premium is another rider that's critical to have on a policy. And this then allows you, if you became disabled and lost your income due to the disability, you would then have the insurance company pay for the policy to remain in force. So you would not have to abort that policy at the time that you can't afford it now because of the disability when you're more likely to need it. So that's a mistake to not have that rider. Another mistake would be not having the accelerated death benefit rider. And Bruce, do you want to explain that one a little more fully? Yeah, some um, people would call this a terminal illness rider. Um, Some some of my colleagues call it a bucket list rider. (laughs) Uh, So like if a person gets a terminal illness, I just found out last night that a good friend of mine, um, who's actually, you know, 18 years older than I am, but... um, his wife has an inoperable, inoperable brain tumor. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and, that. Um, and yeah, in that case, then as long as the doctor signs off, uh, a, a portion of the death benefit can actually be fronted to the policyholder to use however they would like to to use it. Um, whether that is to enjoy their time with their family uh, trips, and that's why they call it a bucket list rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, to actually do some things before they leave the surf. Uh, we really think that's important. Uh, one of the things that's coming on to policies also, and it's very similar, is the long-term care rider. And really, a lot of companies won't even call it long-term care. They call it chronic illness rider. So you get these different type of, of uh, descriptions. <clears throat> and it's the same thing. If you cannot do two of the... Um, two or three, depending on the, the company um, aspects of daily living, which are, you know, feeding yourself, bathing yourself, um, uh, uh, clothing yourself, so on and so forth. Then they will actually, once again, front part of the cash value and death benefit to you, depending on the contract. So those are, uh, those are kind of important things as we plan an overall strategy in, you, in your uh, financial picture. Absolutely. And then another rider that it is really important to make sure is a convertibility feature. And Bruce, I'm not actually sure if this is considered a rider or if it's just a feature on the policy um, to be able to. No, convert- it, would, it is considered a rider. Um, okay. I thought uh, so. I just wanted to make sure we weren't misspeaking. Yeah. Not all of, not all policies have this. Um, now it just so happens, Rachel, that most companies now see these as being very valuable so chronic illness riders, you're going to see um, convertibility riders that we're talking about right now. And uh, they are often now just, uh, they are riders because they are not part of the original contract, the legal ease that companies have paid for over the years. So then they just add it as an addendum, uh, addendum. Uh, to the, or excuse me, addendum, excuse me, I was going to say amendment. Uh, addendum to the contract. So in order to do that, then they actually have to call them a rider, mm-hmm. uh, but they just automatically put them on there. With no charge. So, uh, with no charge. Yes. Yeah, so so if it have was, no charge and some are a cost. Right. If it was originally in the contract, then you could call it a feature. Right. So it's a basically, it's basically the same thing. If it was in the original contract, it would be called a feature. If it was in an, uh, an addendum to the contract, then they, you, you call it a rider. So it's, it's, you're, you were correct either way. Oh, excellent. So this would be then specifically for term insurance to be able to have the ability to convert it to whole life insurance. And as Bruce, you were talking about a little bit earlier, you want to make sure that if you have options for what type of convertibility you want, you want the ability to convert to whatever type of policy 
you want when you convert that term over. So some convertibility features or um, riders will allow you only to convert to universal life or maybe to any type of permanent life product. So you want the ability to convert that. So what that means is that if I put in place a 20-year term policy today, because maybe that's what my financial circumstances allow and I get my full human life value, at any time during those 20 years, I have the ability to convert all or a portion of that policy over to a permanent policy. So maybe a year from now, I have a different circumstance in my cash flow, and now I'm able to convert a big chunk of that policy now over into whole life. And so you want that convertibility feature because that allows you then to convert at your previous underwriting level. Meaning that if you were young and healthy when you started the term policy, you get to keep that underwriting level. You will convert at your current age, at the time of conversion, and that will be the rate that you pay for the policy going forward. But that's a key piece so that you're not having to start from scratch with new underwriting. Now, this leads us to the ninth mistake that a lot of people make when they're buying life insurance, and it's overanalyzing. And we talked a lot about this on a previous episode, and we can link over to that. But I think a lot of times, People are looking for the absolute best policy in the world that's going to perform in every set of circumstances the best, but there's a lot of factors to evaluate. You can look at what is the dividend scale? What is the the growth rate? What is the death benefit in year 39? What is the cash value in year 39? You can be looking at so many different elements. You can be looking at the um, the carrier ratings and the Comdex score and how yeah. long the company's been in existence. And really, the main thing here is that if you're overanalyzing to the point that you don't actually make a decision, you're going to end up shooting yourself in the foot because then you're going to look back with regret and say, why didn't I just move forward with the great information that I did have at that point when I was insurable, when I was younger and the insurance would have cost less? At least move forward. I would say any insurance is better than having no insurance at all. And you want to be able to make the best decision and then continue to educate and learn and grow and make better and better decisions as you build that knowledge. Yeah. I'm not saying that you should make a decision the first time you meet with somebody, but you, what you're doing is you should be evaluating the, um, the ability of that particular advisor producer and that, that they would help you and educate yourself enough so that you understand what, that they know what they're talking about. It is a unbelievable set of variables that are so many in our lives, even our current life, our future life, that we can't possibly take in consideration for all those. I always point to my computer when I'm in a meeting and I said, if it was that easy, some some smarter, a lot smarter guy than me would would figure out a computer program and we could just put all your variables in how you know how old you are, what your habits are, you have a spouse, how much you make. How much your, how many kids you have? How many children do you have? You know, how much cash do you need to have available? And they would spit out and say, this is how the policy you need to design. Well, the fact of the matter is that does not exist. And the reason it doesn't exist is that (laughs) the computer cannot handle all the variables and doesn't know the future variables. So what you have to do is have safety, liquidity, and control as being a principle. Safety, liquidity, and control as being a principle. Then you just then you try to design a policy around the other variables that you're doing, so that in the future when things change, you still have safety, you have liquidity to change along the way, and you are in control of that um, liquidity, and so that will help you not overanalyze and move forward. And all of those translate to having more certainty. That means no matter what happens in your life you're going to have the greatest range of options because of your control. So this leads us then to number 10. And the 10th mistake, which is actually very common, is not moving forward soon enough. Now, we've talked a lot throughout this these last nine reasons that sometimes as we age, we develop health conditions that then prevent us from being able to qualify for the best insurance rates or maybe qualify for life insurance at all. And so the sooner you start a policy, the lower your rates will be locked in for the duration of the policy. If you're starting a whole life policy at age 22, you, even as the same exactly healthy person, will have a better rate for your the rest of your life than if you started that same whole life policy at age 42. 
It's just a matter of statistics and all of the factors that go into um, underwriting with the life insurance company. And so you want to have the best chance to have the best rating, be more likely to be insured, have the lowest lifetime premiums, build more cash value. The longer policies enforced, the more cash value you can build if you're looking at a whole life insurance product. And so really you want to be in a position that you move forward quickly. And um, Bruce, I wanted to just also talk about the kind of redeeming factor or the options that somebody has. If maybe they're listening to this podcast right now and they say, well, this is great for the people who are 20, 30, maybe 40 years old and they're avoiding these mistakes. But here I'm 65 or I'm 70. I want to avoid these mistakes, but now is it too late for me? And what options do I have? What would you say to them? Well, um, I'm sorry. I'm going into a sump. Before I get into that, um, I just got to I just got to relay something. When when I first got in this business as a 24 year old, we were we were taught to actually explain to people you know, the perils of dying, you know, and, and it was almost like a, a scare factor. And as a 24 year old, I thought that was ridiculous. I thought, you know, you shouldn't be buying things cause you're scared. Now as a almost 56 year old who in the, in the, in the last two weeks, my next door neighbor has brain cancer. I already mentioned my friend whose wife has inoperable brain cancer. A guy I worked with in education has brain cancer. Uh, mm, and, wow. and a high school teammate of mine died at 55 from a massive heart attack just two days ago. And yeah. so what you find out is as you get older, you, you you realize that when people say, hey, you really have to put things in perspective to people by telling this, this is reality, I used to shy away from that. I'm getting now, Rachel, where I'm, I'm tired of shying away from this and telling people that, you know, life insurance is very important. I don't know why people don't value it. You will value it later on. I guarantee you about, you will value it. Yes. Um, but for some reason we have devalued it. It's weird. You know, we don't, we have, the government says we have to have car insurance. You know, the mortgage companies mm -hmm. say we have to have mortgage insurance, but nobody says we have to have life insurance. Now the government does put incentives in the tax code for us to have life insurance by making the death benefit and the growth of it be tax free, but they haven't come out and I'm, and I don't want them to come out and say, you know, we have to have it, but I just think it's ironic where we have to, we have to have other insurances, but we don't have the, probably the most important insurance uh, possible. So this does kind of fall into this uninsurability because we see this all the time where people say, well, I'm too old for this. And now I have had a heart attack no insurance companies going to touch me or I have cancer or I had cancer. But I like this concept mm -hmm. that I'm I'm saving money outside of the stock market or outside of banks, this privatized banking. But I wish I would have done it, but I guess I can't now. Well, you can do it. You just have to look for somebody else that you have an insurable interest in. And in most cases, it simply would be your spouse or another family member. It doesn't have to be a spouse or another family member. If you work with somebody that understands strategies, it can be a business partner. It can be a caregiver. We did mm -hmm. one with a caregiver. Oh, it can do. It can be a an, um, a trustee of an estate. Um, so there's a variety mm -hmm. of things um, that you can do, even at an older or an advanced age, or if you're uninsurable. I always tell this question. I'm very proud of this. Uh, we started this on my dad when he my dad was 71 years old. Um, people That's are just excellent. shocked. Oh, it can't work. Well, then I show him. I show him what he, I mean. He's, He's now 79, so he's had it for eight years. I show, I show him the policy. I have no problems. And it's worked beautifully over that time period because it was designed properly. You know, So that's mm -hmm. the difference. So those are the things that you can do uh, as far as uh, doing it old, when you're older or if you're uninsurable. 
Thank you for sharing that, Bruce. And I think um, this episode just as a whole is designed to help you avoid those pitfalls so you don't make those same mistakes, but also to give you hope that there is a way to make sure you do buy the right life insurance product that you will be happy with. And whenever you come across this information in your life, if you are just starting out financially or if you are well-established, whatever your life circumstances, your family, your health circumstances, there is hope and there is a way to make sure you have the right life insurance strategy starting now for you and your family. So if you would like to help, if you'd like to have help determining that right life insurance strategy for you, you can book a call with our advisor team today at themoneyadvantage.com. And I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes for this episode as well. So use these common mistakes to help you avoid those mental shortcuts that leave you vulnerable, unprotected, and dissatisfied with your purchase in the years to come and make the best decisions you can to move forward today with the information that you have. So in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.